some of you might be happy about this and others of you might be sad about this, but it seems that summer is ending. Is anybody sad about that? Somebody, just one person is sad. Nobody with kids at home is sad about that fact because we're happy to send these children back to school. It's the fall season. Uh, and it's, it's one of my favorite seasons. In fact, it's my favorite season of the year for many reasons. I love the weather. I love that it gets a bit cooler. I love, as I said just a moment ago, that the kids go back to school. But mostly I love how my rhythms reset. You ever notice that about the fall? Everybody's all sort of scattered. The church kind of empties out as people travel and vacation and all kinds of sports. And something happens around the end of August early September, where, where people just sort of naturally lock, right, uh, into helpful, healthy rhythms. If your family's anything like mine, we settle into new rhythms in the fall season with schools and activities and sports. And it's super important for us as a family not to squander this new starting line, this new starting point that we get in the fall season. And a similar thing is true in the life of our church. It feels different here in the fall, right? The room fills up a little bit more. It might be harder to get a seat as various rhythms reset in the life of the church. And around the fall season and seasons like it, we as leaders and pastors have to ask ourselves, what do we want to build into the lives of individuals and families here at SSV. What do we want to build into the lives of individuals and their families at this natural reset point? What elements and rhythms are important for their spiritual flourishing? These are the questions that we're asking as a staff and leadership team. What rhythms, as it relates to the rows that you're sitting in, our weekend services, do we want to highlight? What rhythms, as it relates to the circles or the small groups, what spiritual practices like prayer, worship, devotion, serving, generosity, friendship, and community, what, 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 what spiritual practices do we want to lean on so that folks can hit this season running? It would be spiritual malpractice for us not to leverage this season to help you with these natural reset points. And what we know is that if we don't tend to that as pastors and leaders, what happens is you build your own unhealthy rhythms you invite back into your life all the unhealthy things, all the lesser things, and what? Jesus just sort of gets the leftovers. The things of God and life with the Spirit just sort of just gets to squeeze into any nook and cranny that's left over rather than starting there. We're trying to leverage these reset moments. And so that's why around this time we engage in a 21 days of fasting and prayer. As some of you roll your eyes physically, others of you in your heart where it can't be seen. Uh, but what you know and what you might suspect is that this fast is good for you and your soul. Because this fast asks you to look around the room of your life and to look and maybe select a couple things that maybe have grown out of proportion. What's sitting on God's throne? What's fighting with God for your attention and affection? What do you need to reduce or remove so that you might use that time, that energy, that focus to place on the things that are going to cause you to flourish. This is why we, ha we, we uh, actually uh, do these sort of things around this particular 
time of year. And it's in the spirit of this season changing and these resets happening, it's in the spirit of starting this 21-day fast that I want to begin a brand new teaching series this morning that I'm simply calling Something Precious. Something Precious. And the goal of this series is to pair this series, these instructions, with the fast and this season of reset. Focusing on what we bring to God, there's a handful of things, a handful of really important things that we're supposed to bring to God. And in case you didn't know this, in case this is news to you, our lives, as the scripture tells us, should be poured out like an offering to God. And Dave, King David once said in 2 Samuel chapter 24 that I won't bring God something that costs me nothing. I won't bring to the Lord, King David says, as an offering something that costs me nothing To put it a different way, I'll only bring to God as an offering that which is precious to me, that which is important to me, that which is valuable to me, I will bring to the Lord only something precious. And can I just say that some of us don't relate to God that way in our lives of worship? Some of us, regardless of how it might appear to the casual observers, bring God the leftovers We give him some of our time if the kids aren't in sports, or if there's nothing good on television, or if I didn't have a busy weekend, we'll bring him that if we've got something left over. We'll give of our time and our talent and resource of what we have left over rather than that which is precious to us, and you will never thrive in your spiritual life with that mode of operation. And so over the next couple of weeks as we engage in this fast, we'll be highlighting things that are precious to us that God would like like us to bring to him as an offering. And today I want to begin this series by focusing on the subject of prayer. The subject of prayer. This subject of prayer is a really broad subject. If you search the scripture, there's a lot of communication on prayer, a lot of scriptures that relate to prayer. And we can spend a dozen weeks on prayer Uh, a series on prayer and not even really scratch the surface, but I want to talk specifically about prayer, especially as we enter the season of fasting and prayer. Prayer is the act of communicating by, uh, by humans with the holy, the sacred, the divine, in our case, almighty God, right? And if you're like me, you might confess to having a complicated relationship with prayer. Anybody got a complicated relationship with prayer? Anybody got an on again and off again relationship with prayer? Anybody good in one season, bad in the next? Good one week, and you say, I hope somebody asked me about my prayer life this week because I am killing it. And the circumstances of life conspire against you, and you don't talk to God meaningfully for weeks. Is there anybody other than me that has a complicated relationship with prayer? But prayer, once you get to understand it, is really special. It's really helpful, and it's necessary for the spiritual life with Jesus because it is mutual communication. Somebody say mutual communication. Some of you think that prayer is let me go talk to God and hopefully he'll be quiet and give me his attention and listen. But wouldn't you be surprised to know 
that prayer is mutual communication. We talk to God, and guess what? If you're listening, he can talk back. We commune with God, and if you stick around, he communes with us. We are present to him, and he is present to us. It's really quite special how it works. Prayer is one of the most important spiritual disciplines, one of the most necessary spiritual practices. And as one preacher put it, prayer is also a gift. Prayer is a gift. It's a gift that we bring to God, a gift of our attention, a gift of our affection, a gift of our time and devotion and presence. And it is also uniquely a gift that God gives to us because I told you this is a mutual exchange. God gives us his attention, his affection, his presence. I'm talking about prayer today at the outset of this season of reset and at the outset of this 21-day fast because prayer is very easy to overcomplicate. It's also really easy to oversimplify. And because of that, I want to spend some time helping us to understand prayer as we lean into this new season. I'm simply calling this message this morning persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. Of all the avenues and discussions we can have about prayer, I want to talk this morning about persistent prayer. Would you meet me in your Bibles this morning in Luke chapter 11? That's where we'll camp out for the remainder of our time. Luke chapter 11. There are Bibles on the edges of your rows. If you want to interact with a paper Bible, We'll also be projecting the words on the screen. And of course, feel free to interact with the Bible on your mobile device um, and while you find it. Luke chapter 11, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for yet an opportunity to lean in today, to bring you an offering of our time and our attention. We know, Father, that you have something to pour out. Father, would you be with us this morning as we press in? As we engage this discourse on prayer, for those of us who have a complicated relationship with their prayer and their prayer life, for those who even feel a little bit ashamed in this moment because they haven't communed with you in a while, Lord, I pray that they would be reminded today that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ, but we welcome your conviction, we welcome your correction, we welcome community with you in this place today. Put power on these words you give me to speak. Lord, move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter 11, I'm gonna start at verse one. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Verse 5, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanted to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep locking long enough, 
he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Verse 11, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. This is a really important text, especially as we sit at the doorway of a, uh, of a, of a new season, as we seek to engage this fast, which we hope to pair with meaningful prayer. It's a timeless text. It's a familiar text to many of you because at the outset, the disciples approach Jesus humbly and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples to, to pray, Lord, you ain't gave us a lesson on prayer yet. Would you teach us to pray? And Jesus says simply, pray this way. And he, he then gives them a short uh, masterclass on how to pray. And we get an abridged version of the prayer uh, that many of us have committed to memory of uh, the Lord's Prayer. And even as I was reading through that, it's like missing a few lines from the prayer that you are familiar with, but it's the Lord's Prayer. And I want to read the full version of it that is contained in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. What a comprehensive prayer. And whether you are using this simply as a template or whether you're reciting this word for word, it gets the job done, does it not? Doesn't this cover all the bases? It begins with a helpful salutation, Father, which orients us in our relationship to our Heavenly Father. It reminds us that God is holy and that he's not just somebody, he's not just some pal, he's holy. We're invited to ask him that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done in our lives. You see how this might condition our hearts before we ask anything else? We're oriented to who God is. We verbally express that we want his kingdom to come and as much as it concerns me, your will will be done. If I've got anything to do with it, Lord, may these things happen surrounding me. And then it proceeds to ask for daily bread. I love that framing. I love that phrase. This isn't the Costco load up for the month bread. This is like a daily ration. Come get some every day. Come get some for every meal. Then in this prayer deals with our deepest need, forgiveness from our sin. Goes on to ask us, the Lord to keep us from temptation and protect us from the evil one. It covers all the bases. It's a helpful primer for our hearts. Whatever we might add to this prayer is already conditioned by the prayer itself, what more do we need, right? Obviously, we need more because Jesus doesn't stop at the Lord's Prayer. As helpful as it is, he continues to answer their question. 
with some more helpful instruction regarding prayer. And I want to lean on the remainder of this text for the remainder of our time. The way I see it, Jesus gives three permissions, three permissions that are going to help us understand how to pray, how to lean in, and particularly how to be persistent. Three permissions, and then I'm out of your hair this morning. The first thing he gives us is permission to be shameless. Permission to be shameless. And by shameless, I mean bold. Do you know any shameless people? Are they here with you right now? If you know any shameless people, well, they're called shameless for a reason. They don't have any shame. Uh, The sort of things that the average person would maybe not ask or maybe not do. Uh, Maybe not go outside of the foul lines of decorum and decency and good manners. (laughs) The shameless person goes, ah, let's try it anyway. And Jesus, in this helpful discourse uh, on prayer, gives us, in a sense, permission to be shameless. Verse 5 says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. That's your first mistake. Wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, that's a lot of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. Now think about this. They say midnight, but some scholars suggest that this isn't like 12 o'clock midnight. This is like in the middle of the night, so think like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., right? And knocks on the door and asks for bread. Now I'm trying to put this together. Like your friend just got here? And you, I mean, you're going to wake me up for some bread, three loaves at that? This can't wait until morning. Knocks on the door in this disruptive fashion. Now, also, don't think about your spacious apartments and your spacious homes. Think about families living in, like, one-room homes. If somebody knocks on the door, somebody's yelling out for bread, they're subject to wake everybody in the house. And if this person were to get up and oblige their request, they'd have to turn on the lamps and surely wake up everybody. This is a shameless, audacious request. Do you know anybody shameless? A shameless people at, the point, at this point, they're like, what's the problem? <laughs> if you happen to not be shameless, you, you have a bit of a rub with this, right? You would never do this unless somebody was dead or dying. You'd never go arouse your neighbor at this ungodly hour. And yet, Jesus is used, of all the pictures he can paint for us, of all the ways he can illustrate this, he illustrates it with a pesky, shameless neighbor. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you, go away. This is a bad idea. Verse eight says, but I can tell you this, though he won't do it for his friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your what? Shameless persistence. And I am immediately at odds with this section of the text. I'm over the moon about the Lord's Prayer, comprehensive, everything we need. I'm gonna tuck this in the template in my shirt pocket. I'm gonna pray it all the time, but to to be a shameless 
person this runs against the grain of my personality and several of my rules of life. If you're like me, you're a preacher's kid, and we regularly found ourselves going to people's houses. And I don't know if your parents are anything like mine, but we would get a talk in the car. And I'm looking at Elder Rick here, who I grew up, we grew up, in, grew up in my father's church, and we would regularly go to Elder Rick's house, and we would get this talk in the car out front of his house. You are not hungry. <laughs> Though we were hungry, we were told we were not hungry. When you get in there, get somewhere and what? Get somewhere and sit down. Don't touch nothing. Don't look at nothing. Get somewhere and sit down. You are not hungry. And if they ask you if you're hungry, you are not hungry. My parents didn't want us to put anybody out. We were drilling down into us this sort of decor, this mindfulness of others. You are not hungry. And so I was raised to be thoughtful, to be mindful, to be self-aware. And maybe they went overboard a little bit, but I pride myself a little bit on understanding even the unspoken rules of life as to not be shameless and indecent and move outside of the foul lines of social order. And I might confess to you today that I don't pray in this way. I, I think that maybe I've let my rules of life that govern how I act interpersonally with the other humans affect and maybe infect my life with God. I think I'm too self-aware when I pray. I might be too decent. I might be too mindful. But here it is in black and white, Jesus says, shameless. I don't pray this way. I'm a little embarrassed to say. But there's more because Jesus gives us another permission. Another permission that rubs up against the grain of who I am and some of my rules of life. He gives us permission to be persistent. Persistent. And if the permission to be shameless speaks to permission for us to be bold, permission to be persistent speaks to the frequency at which we can come or should come, or should ask. Remember, this uncouth neighbor has not just asked an audacious request, but he keeps on asking. He keeps on knocking. His strategy is, even though this cat won't get up and give me some bread because he loves me, he certainly will cause me to go away by giving me what I've asked. Jesus says, be persistent. Uh, feeling uncomfortable. But it scores with what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. He says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Paul, what do you mean? Man, I got a life. 
I got kids. I got work. Never stop praying. Never stop going to God. Persistence. If that's not enough, if you go down to verse 9, Jesus continues. He says, so I tell you, keep on asking, and you receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Can I tell you that again, I find myself at odds with this? I'm uncomfortable with this because I don't pray this way. Because of my personality, because of my wiring, and because of my unique rules of life, I'm only going to ask you for something once. And if I get the slightest sense that you don't want to do it, that's it. I'm not going to ask you again, unless it's really important. It'd be, unless somebody is dead and dying, or dying, I'm only going to ask you once. It goes deeper. I can't even stand to be around somebody asking the same question over and over. My kids sitting here, they'll tell you. Eli said to Joe, Joe, let me see your controller, please. Please let me see your controller. After three or four times, hey man, can he see your controller? No? Leave him alone. I'm at odds. I don't like to haggle. Some of you will love to haggle. My wife likes to haggle. This is why the last two cars we bought, I sent her to the dealership alone because I'm embarrassed. I said, baby, you know there's some margin on this so this guy can eat and feed his family, right? <laughs> He's back and forth, can I, I don't handle. I can either afford what you're offering or I can't. I'll go back and forth maybe a little bit, but it's not. You understand what I'm saying? And when it comes to God, I, I don't like asking them stuff more than and this text really ruffled my feathers and really caused me to look in the mirror and really helped me to assess some things that are wrong with me and how I relate to God. Because I'll confess to you that in my low moments and in my most human moments, and I feel a little bit irreverent saying this, but I'm like, God, why are I going to ask you for this over and over? And if I'm really honest, and Lord, I don't mean anything by it, but why do I have something? Why do I got to ask you at all? You're a good God. I'm your kid, right? Like, why do I got to pray for cancer to go away? Like, that should be something you just do automatically. Why well, I got to pray for injustice to, to, to cease and for racism to end? And for abused children to be safe where they lay their head. Like, why, why even got to ask you? Like, why do I ask you twice? I'm at odds with the prescription to be persistent. You are God. You, you can fix this. Not to mention 
The psalmist says, you know my thoughts before I get them. Like, why can I ask you? It's like my kids coming to me emaciated with hunger. And I go, well, what do you say? What do you want? Maybe you're uncomfortable that your preacher is wrestling out loud in this way. Or maybe you say, I kind of feel the same way. I don't pray like Jesus is suggesting. I don't come shameless. I don't come persistent. And it might be the culprit, and it might be the root of some of my seasons of spiritual dryness. And it might be the root, and it might be the culprit, as it relates to your seasons of spiritual dryness. Because when I'm most spiritually dry, I am the most, at least I think I am, self-sufficient. I'm in the throes of the fine, I'll do it myselfness. And what complicates the matter for me, honestly, and I'm just talking out loud, is that I really do lean and trust on the sovereignty of God. I really do. I never waver there. And so part of what complicates shamelessness and persistence is a deep and abiding understanding that God is God and he will do what he wants. And so where it gets a little wonky is that I go, well, why got to ask you three, four times, Lord, if your mind's already made up? I'm wrestling with this out loud. But we lose sight of the fact that prayer is communion with God. It is fellowship. And God doesn't need our prayers to feel better about himself. God doesn't need our, cons our consultation in order for him to maneuver things in the world. But we need to come near him and talk it out. We need to come close and tell him what's on our minds. We need to come close to him and draw near to him shamelessly, which means we don't think too much about what we're going to say before we say it. And we ought to come frequently, which means that we're bringing him everything all the time. And regardless of whether we get what we want or we get specifically what we're asking, we're getting from him time and communion and fellowship. And oftentimes when I'm having a great season of prayer, my spiritual life is buoyed, not because God gave me what I asked for, but because I've been near him. That frequency, that persistence puts me near him a lot, regardless of the answer he gives me. You see what I'm saying with this? And so the particular ways that I am wired that put me at odds with the prescription of being shameless and persistent causes me spiritual detriment. It's rooted in how I relate to God because I'm too logical, I'm too principled, too thought out, too dignified, too self-sufficient, too well-reasoned, and I can talk myself out of the shamelessness that it requires 
to get to the level of frequency that it requires to be near to God enough to get my fractured heart right. Somebody's thinking, this guy is a mess. But there's more. Jesus gives us a third permission. And it's my favorite. It's a permission to be childlike. Childlike. When I'm, when I'm structuring these points, particularly for the slides, I'm trying to pick the right words, and so I'm often going to the dictionary, going to the thesaurus to make sure I get the word just right. And when I looked up synonyms for childlike, one synonym stood out on the computer. Artless. <laughs> artless. To be childlike is to be artless, without effort or pretentiousness, natural and simple, without skill or finesse. Like kids. Let me put it a different way. Like kids of a certain age. Before they get slick on you before they start thinking and processing. They're artless. They're indiscriminate about what they bring to you. They're indiscriminate about when they bring it to you. And they're uncaring and unfeeling about how often they bring it to you. They are, in a word, artless because they move toward their guardians thoughtlessly, artlessly, lacking finesse. And so this last section of the text really messed me up this week, really convicted me, because the characters in this story shift from a pesky neighbor with an ill-timed request to frame our prayer lives with God to a child interacting with his parents. In case you can't get with the pesky neighbor illustration, maybe if you're dense like me, you need Jesus to put the good stuff on a lower shelf. Parent and child relationship. I've got children from the age of 15 down to the age of six. So it wasn't hard for this to come down my aisle. It wasn't hard for me to understand what Jesus is saying here. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? When Jesus puts this in a realm parents and kids, and he couples it with a pesky neighbor who was both shameless and persistent. The full picture falls into place, mainly because I have a six-year-old and his name is Zeke. You will probably, well, I guess Zeke isn't here, but on any, on any given Sunday, you, will pro- you probably have met Zeke if you were talking to me. Because as soon as they released that little rascal from his classroom, and I've asked them to keep him back there as long as they can 
he's going to find me. And he's not looking for me, he's looking for this phone. <laughs> he's looking for this phone. And I'm trying to teach this little rascal that, I, look boy, I am at work. I'm talking to somebody, they're crying, they're getting saved. Demons are manifest. You think Zeke says, oh, this is a bad time. Let me, let me go get mommy's phone. And Zeke, he, he comes up, daddy, can I get your phone? Zeke, what's the problem? Oh, sorry, excuse me, daddy, can I have your phone? He's an artful, he doesn't care. And I'm trying to teach him. See, I want you to process, son. Uh, is this worth interrupting daddy right now? Think about it. And oftentimes he concludes that it is. <laughs> I'm in the shower trying to get some privacy. I hear the door open I, out the shower curtain. He's there with the phone. What's the screen time password, daddy? <laughs> Boy, if you don't get your little narrow behind out of here, I'm asleep in my bed. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting to that age where it's hard for me to get back to sleep. And so I'm trying to coach these guys, listen, man, if you gotta wake me up, you gotta wake me up, wake me up. But make sure something serious. Zeke wakes me up. Daddy, how many sleeps until vacation? And I get really frustrated with him, but this text this week helped me to see that he makes no distinction at this point in his life. He's artless. He's not being thoughtful. Something came to his mind and it moves him toward his father because he's got the answer. He saw or thought of something interesting and it doesn't matter whether I'm asleep, it doesn't matter whether I'm talking to you, whether I'm in the shower, where's my daddy? I gotta tell him. And whether the house is on fire or he just wants to know how many sleeps until we go to vacation, he's moving toward his father, bringing his father what? Everything. And it drives me crazy. And I think that maybe I might think that my persistence were it to be that way and my shamelessness were it to be that way and my lack of artfulness were I to be that way might bother my heavenly father and boy have I got it wrong. Boy have you got it wrong. We bought this, we, we, we put a little porch out on the house. We, we have this... Um, driveway that doesn't lend itself to having a porch. I've always wanted a porch on my house. I don't have a porch, but we found a way to put this little deck right along the house. And can I tell you that we are out there every night, me and my wife. That's how we process this. That's how we end the day. And as I was thinking about this text, I thought about how we relate to one another on that old porch. On me, I'm very gathered, okay? Okay, I'm, very, I'm sorting what I'm going to tell her about, how I'm going to tell her about it, because I said, if I tell her this, 
Long after I solve this, she's still going to be worried about it. I ain't going to bring that to her. I'm, I'm sorting and I'm artful and I'm trying, right? That is not how she processes with me at the end of the day. She backs up the dump truck, <laughs> hits the lever, and all of the unprocessed realities of the day right on my lap. Bless the Lord, Lord on oh my soul <laughs> and all that is within me. And before this week, I thought, maybe you could process that just a little bit before you bring it to me. But I'm her person. Like every, every other place in her life, she's got to keep it together. She's got to hold it in. She's got to think about it and process it. But, but when she gets home to her person, her man, her partner in life, she doesn't filter it. And before this week, I thought that maybe I had the more refined, more excellent way that maybe I could teach her something. <laughs> but, my, but, but my Lord and Savior and all of his care for me has used my inartful six-year-old and my loving, unfiltered wife at the end of the day to point out to me that there is a more excellent way to relate to God. That I don't have it right. That there's something deeply flawed with me and my approach to communion with God. I have a ways to go. When Paul says, never stop praying, when Jesus says, be like the shameless neighbor, persistently knocking, asking for more bread than maybe he should ask for the inartful child. What does he promise? Everybody who knocks receives. Everybody who seeks finds. Now, he doesn't get specific about what they're going to get or what they're going to find. But you can bet that it's going to be something good. One of my favorite preachers, God rest his soul, Tim Keller, said that, 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 that um, God gives us what we would ask for if we knew what he knew. So we're going to get something. We're going to find something. But more than that, in the frequency of showing up with him, a lot of the heavy lifting of our hearts is going to get done because it's in the nearness. It's in the repetition. It's in the community. It's in the fellowship. And worship team, you can come up as I land the plane. Are you shameless in your prayers? And some of you are already here. You're like, dude, I got that part. Are you persistent? Yes. Are you childlike? Absolutely. But my guess is that a handful of us needed these permissions as we reset, as we lean toward prayer, as we engage with this fast, as we're going to turn down the lesser noises and press toward more time with the Lord. Uh, some of us needed these permissions. Doesn't matter how old you are. Jesus grants us permissions. 
And for some of us, this will rewire our prayer lives. And for some of us, this will cause us to relate to God as God and not as we do the other humans. Encumbered by lists of social rules and norms. Instead, Jesus says, come to me like a four-year-old. Anytime. For everything. The big stuff and the small stuff. The happy stuff and the scary stuff. When that boy finally asks you out and when that rascal breaks your heart, bring it to me. For the pregnancy and the miscarriage. For the wedding and the divorce. When the promotion comes and when it doesn't. When you make the team and when you get cut, Jesus says, bring me everything. I don't pray this way yet. Some of you don't pray this way, but you're going to get to practice this week where you turn off the TV and you put down that phone and you press toward the Father and you say, let's give this a try. And half the time you won't be asking him for stuff. You'll just be telling them about your day. You say, he already knows. I know, tell him anyway. Tell your therapist. Tell your spouse. Tell him. You got a wild, audacious request? Take it to him. The cancer's come back? Take it to him. You got more months than money? Take it to him. Somebody broke your heart and stepped on it? Take it to him. Your day is great? Take it to him. This will be a new rhythm for many of us, but my suspicion is that you're up for the challenge. Persistent prayer. Why don't you stand with me if you can? Go pray. God, you are good, and you want to be with us. God, you are good, and you want to be near to us. You've granted us permission to be shameless, persistent, and childlike. And give us the strength and courage to take you up on that offer. Come, Holy Spirit. There, 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 there are folks here today who just really have, you, you would just confess to just having a, just like a non-existent prayer life. And there's loads of shame around that, even as I talk to you right now. And I feel like the Lord is, is breaking that. Because believe it or not, that shame and whatever you're carrying only keeps adding more distance between you and the Lord. It's not particularly helpful. And so Lord, the Lord, realize Lord would just have you understand that he just wants to zero that account uh, today so that you can start fresh some of you are intimidated when you come to small group and you hear people praying so eloquently and you go I could never talk to God that way you don't have to 
You don't have to. Others of you are here today and, and you do your best praying in public. And the Lord wants to, like, he wants to switch that. That you would do your best praying in private. In the secret place where it's just you and him.